Trade war between the United States and China is here. It's real. We'll be in, imposing tariffs on steel imports and tariffs on aluminum imports. Since the beginning of the Trump administration, there's a word you might have heard the U.S. president say a lot. China, 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 Chinese China. President Donald Trump has escalated tensions with China with a trade war. And the first sanctions started in January of 2018. We can't continue to allow China to rape our country. The attacks by Trump have been harsh. And the negotiations and relationship between the two countries have been a roller coaster. China immediately responded with its revenge tariffs of equal value in calling America trade bullies. And then the coronavirus hit. The China virus. COVID-19, the Chinese virus. The language used by the U.S. president has made headlines worldwide and generated racist attacks against Asian Americans. It's not racist at all, no, not at all. It comes from China. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. Today, we'll explore the bumpy relationship between the two countries and what the United States presidential election could mean for the future of the world's biggest economies. We'll hear from Chinese nationals living in the U.S. about how this election could change their lives. And from Al Jazeera English's correspondent in Beijing, Katrina Yu, who'll tell us if the Chinese are expecting a change in the diplomatic and business relationships between the two countries. And also, a scholar in cybersecurity who'll tell us just how much is known about Chinese interference in the 2020 election. But first, we're going to Malaysia. I'm Azhar Sukri. I'm the Asia business editor for Al Jazeera Digital. I'm based in Kuala Lumpur. Azhar has been following the trade war closely and its effect on the global economy. I want to dive into this so-called trade war, because that's what we see headlines about all the time between the U.S. and China. Talk to me about what that is and how it got started. So the trade war between mainly the U.S. and China really got underway in Trump's second year. And the U.S. has imposed punitive tariffs on about $370 billion worth of Chinese goods. And China has retaliated with over $100 billion worth of its own tariffs. It's born of Trump's opinion that China needs to be punished for trade practices that have been criticized for many years, not just by the US, but by many others as well. That China basically subsidizes a lot of its own industries, that it protects its own industries, But up until Trump, countries have been dealing with it in a more multilateral way, going through the World Trade Organization and trying to, you know, put pressure through all of these multilateral channels. How has this war affected the economies of both of those countries, of the U.S. and China? It's interesting. I mean, research by the Federal Reserve said that overall for the U.S. economy, it's been a negative Yes, you can protect domestic companies with import tariffs, 
But the knock-on effects of those tariffs are that your import costs go up. So that means if you're a U.S. company, the cost of your supplies has gone up. And who pays the price? The consumer, when they go to the store. As Har told us, most companies have been absorbing the extra cost so far. And that's obviously not good for profits. But the trade war has morphed, of course, into a number of battlefronts between the U.S. and China. I mean, you've got the whole battle over technology. You've got Huawei. You've got TikTok. And that is the U.S. trying to keep China in its box as it tries to become a technological superpower. China wasn't always a technological superpower. It's taken a while to become an innovator, but we'll get back to that. While the trade war has affected the Chinese and U.S. economies, the World Bank says the coronavirus has created the deepest recession since the Second World War. But while most economies around the world are struggling, China has bounced back. We asked Azhar how they did it. The interesting thing, of course, is that what they have been doing is shifting away from uh, a model that is reliant on exports to their own internal domestic market, which is huge. I mean, if you're talking about a, a middle class in China, you're talking about 400 million people, which is bigger than the entire population of the US. So that is an enormous market that it can tap. And in fact, the latest set of economic numbers that we had for the third quarter, you had 4.9% GDP growth for the third quarter compared to the same period last year. And a lot of what's driving that, especially in the latest set of numbers, is actually the Chinese consumer. So I want to turn to the U.S. elections now. Are Chinese companies preparing for the U.S. election results Do they care who wins? Yeah, some of the companies that we've spoken to say that when they look at what Donald Trump has been doing over the last four years and what Joe Biden is promising to do if he becomes president, they see threats from whoever wins on November 3rd. Threats like what? You know, Joe Biden still says that China is a threat. In dealing with that threat, however, he's promising to take on a completely different approach to Donald Trump. And he's promising to marshal U.S. allies like the European Union, like Japan, like India, for example. All of these places have their own grouses uh, about how China treats them. So Joe Biden would capitalize on those fears uh, and concerns, and he would build a coalition, which is what Trump has not been doing. So the strategic goal stays the same from the US. So if you're a Chinese company or if you're the Chinese government, basically you see at least four more years of the same. In one of your recent articles on aljazeera.com, you talked about collateral damage. Countries who have to take a side in this dispute between the U.S. and China. Many American companies are also being forced to choose a side. They are being forced to decouple from China and find new places to manufacture. What does this mean for the future of these two economies? What we're seeing now is a lot of companies looking to reshore either back to the U.S. or to other low-cost manufacturing uh, centers. There are other choices that you have 
So right here where I am in Malaysia, for example, Malaysia has been a beneficiary of some of that. Vietnam has been a huge beneficiary as some companies decided, especially early on in the, in the coronavirus pandemic, to relocate to Vietnam. There are problems with doing that, of course. It's not easy. So yes, there has been collateral damage and there's been collateral benefits as well from this. But the trade war's collateral damage is not limited to the economy. We have been ripped off by China. Uh, an evacuation of wealth like no country has ever seen before. The portrait of China as the enemy of blue-collar workers in the United States, plus the coronavirus pandemic, has generated concerns within Chinese nationals living in the U.S. Hi, my name is Mark, and I was born and raised in a northeastern part of China called Dalian. Mark asked us to protect his identity because he fears endangering his visa status. I'm not a U.S. citizen, but I do want to speak on the trade war between the United States and China because ever since that, my life has changed tremendously, but in a really negative way. Personally, on a day-to-day level, I had to endure through a lot of the gratuitous racism. And I feel like a lot of the people who are not educated enough or intelligent enough to differentiate the differences would direct their angers of the pandemic, of the trade war, to people like me, or even people who look like me. If President Trump does get re-elected in this November's presidential election, I do not foresee my future in the United States so bright. The pandemic has brought up a different type of issue for China. Many around the world blame the country for COVID-19. Looking at the recent research from uh, the Pew Research Center, they found that unfavorable views of China have hit historic highs in, in many countries. Is that going to hamper its economy? In the short term, I don't think it is. In the long run, though, For Chinese people, perceptions are quite important. Again, looking at Chinese history, you look at what motivates a lot of Chinese decision-making today is a sense of not wanting to be seen to be weak on the international stage. So I want to talk about technology and how that plays a role, what role it's playing, especially with one of the biggest companies at the center of this, and that's Huawei, the Chinese firm that develops telecommunications. They own the highest number of patents related to equipment that's running the newest generation 5G mobile phone networks. But the U.S. says that China can use those networks to gain access to confidential data. This is what they accuse China of doing. Tell me more about the controversy and how it got started and where we are now. So... The stakes for 5G are enormous. Recent research from IHS Market, they estimate that by 2035, 5G technology could help create about 22 million jobs worldwide, about $13 trillion worth from the the economic benefits of what 5G could bring. But the problem is, if Huawei is curtailed, it'll actually affect a lot of people in a lot of different ways. Firstly, looking in the US itself, there are a lot of telecommunications companies in poorer parts, rural parts of the US that are trying to roll out advanced 
telecommunications networks that'll help farmers or small businesses. 5G greatly lowers the costs of rolling out such services for communities like that. So curtailing 5G is a bad thing, I, I think, going forwards, because you could end up in a situation where you have a US standard for 5G and a Chinese standard for 5G, and the two won't communicate effectively enough. What's also interesting, of course, in the whole Huawei saga is how some countries, including the UK, had initially said, we're going to look at the Huawei issue, but we're going to carry on using their equipment. There was then US pressure and uh, there have been U-turns on that. So the UK has now said, we're also going to restrict Huawei. That's a diplomatic way of saying it. So basically the US is campaigning Mm -hmm. hard behind the scenes with other countries to ensure that they also get on board this ban Mm. Huawei train. And and it's not just Huawei, of course. You know, there is uh, the whole TikTok issue. Tonight, social media juggernaut TikTok is in danger after the president threatens to shut it down. TikTok is a popular Chinese-owned social network that saw a growing popularity this year during the pandemic. The app allows users to create short music, dance, or lip-sync videos. TikTok has awkwardly danced its way into becoming a cultural trendsetter with more than 800 million worldwide users. TikTok is not new to controversy. Last year, reports came out that Beijing censors videos on the platform. But the social network didn't catch Trump's attention until last summer. Bad news for TikTok and WeChat users. The United States government is bringing down the hammer and banning the Chinese-owned apps from being downloaded in U.S. app stores. The U.S. accuses its owner, ByteDance, of allowing the Chinese government to gather data from American users. TikTok has denied the allegations, but President Trump is trying to ban U.S. transactions with them and another Chinese app, WeChat. He's signed executive orders banning TikTok and WeChat from operating in the U.S. within 45 days. The American government says that for TikTok to continue operating in the country, it will have to be purchased by a local U.S. tech giant. Many have said that the TikTok ban has nothing to do with China or national security, but rather has become a target for the president because he's often the subject of punchlines on the platform. TikTok users may well be President Trump's latest adversary after fewer than 7,000 people attended his weekend campaign rally in Tulsa. Back in June, the president held a rally in Tulsa, Oklahoma. The political event marked his return to the campaign trail after COVID-19 lockdowns. However, TikTokers organized online, obtained the majority of the tickets, and then never showed up. Let's say it wasn't a good look for President Trump. The other Chinese application the Trump administration has categorized as a threat is WeChat, an app kind of similar to WhatsApp that allows messaging, voice memos, video conferencing, and to even send money. WeChat has around 19 million users in the United States. Many of them are Chinese students, Chinese Americans with family in China, or people with businesses or personal connections in the Asian country. But we wanted to know if the allegations against TikTok and WeChat from the U.S. government are reasonable. So we asked an expert. My name is Josephine Wolf. I'm an assistant professor of cybersecurity policy at the Tufts Fletcher School. 
there's a fairly reasonable argument that people have made that the Chinese government keeps a pretty close hold over Chinese companies. However, Josephine told us there's really no proof. We don't have any clear public evidence, at least, that the Chinese government has so far been soliciting a lot of information from TikTok or from WeChat about U.S. users. Doesn't mean that they couldn't in the future. It doesn't even mean that they haven't already. I think the question is sort of, what are the ways in which the United States is comfortable with other countries storing its data? Other concerns from the U.S. government have been the possibility of China meddling in the 2020 election. I think it really depends on what we mean by meddling in the election. And I think the big distinction that it's important to draw here is between what we've seen out of China and what we've seen out of Russia. What we know from, say, recent reports by Microsoft about Chinese activity is that they're continuing with that pattern of espionage that we've seen for many years now, that they're continuing to try to gain access to officials closely affiliated with some of the presidential campaigns, that they're trying to get into their email accounts. But there's not any evidence of China then sort of using that access to try and manipulate voter opinions, try and manipulate the election itself. It's worth saying that the Chinese government has always denied any intervention in the U.S. elections. At this point, the ban on TikTok and WeChat has been stopped by a federal judge. But we wondered, if it goes into effect, how will Chinese nationals working and living in the United States be affected? Hi, my name is Jenny, and I am from Shanghai, China, and right now I live in Houston, Texas. If WeChat was banned, then they cut the relationship, they cut the communication between us. They just built a wall between us and our family members and our friends. Building a wall is a phrase we're all quite familiar with now during the Trump administration. Here's Jen Ding, a Chinese national living in Maryland. The WeChat ban, it will definitely impact me, how I can talk with my parents every day and how I can have conversations with my cousins every day. Those things are an essential part of our lives because we cannot live in a pandemic while we are already being so isolated. At the same time, lose the essential connection with our family and friends. We also heard from Amber, a naturalized American citizen of Chinese origin in California. She told us she'll also be affected by the ban on WeChat. I use WeChat to connect with family and friends, and a lot of my friends who speak English are also WeChat users. But Amber also said who she's voting for this November and what helped her make that decision. This year, it is my common sense that guides my vote. And I am planning to vote for Biden. And the reason is very sad. I'm not voting for Biden because I'm supporting all of his political souls. But it is because I cannot stand to see Donald Trump in the White House for another four years. But what do people in China think about Trump, the United States, and this election? We asked Al Jazeera English's correspondent in Beijing, Katrina Yu. I think when Donald Trump first came to power, he was quite popular in China. What you see is what you got with President Trump, which many people in China quite liked. But over the past few years, 
especially in recent months, people have started to see Donald Trump and his administration as hostile to China. They've attacked Beijing on multiple fronts. And the Trump administration has impacted people personally in terms of curtailing the visas of Chinese journalists and also revoking or denying visas for Chinese researchers or students based on security concerns. And we've also seen the Trump administration and President Trump repeatedly take the coronavirus and call it the Chinese plague. COVID-19, that name gets further and further away from China as opposed to calling it the Chinese virus. Which many in China say has exacerbated a wave of anti-Chinese racism in the U.S. It's not my fault that it came here. It's China's fault. However, Katrina made a distinction between how people in China feel about Trump and how they feel about the United States as a nation. I think on the whole, despite this whole ideological war between Washington and Beijing, people in China actually admire the U.S. Generally, they admire the culture, the education. They want to go to the U.S. to travel. They want to send their kids there to study. So I think many believe that President Trump has been bad, not only for the relationship between Beijing and Washington, but also for the reputation of China and Chinese people around the world. When it comes to this election cycle, Katrina thinks many in China don't know what to expect. Chinese state media have been painting the U.S. as pretty much a disaster zone over the last few months when it comes to the coverage over protests because of the death of George Floyd and police brutality and, of course, the pandemic, which is still raging across the U.S. Overall, I think most people in China just believe when it comes to this election that the U.S. is not a friendly entity towards China. It's trying to contain China's rise And whoever wins the U.S. presidential election, that's unlikely to change. We brought the idea of containing China back to Azhar. My final question here, looking at the long term and thinking about that long game, what would it take for better relations between the U.S. and China? Let's assume Joe Biden wins. I mean, because frankly, right now, that's the only way that you could see an improvement. I think if we have another four years of Trump, you're going to see the status quo and possibly Trump doubling down on the anti-China rhetoric and actions as well. Under Biden, yes, you will see measures to contain China, but that doesn't necessarily mean a breakdown in, in communication. I think you possibly under Biden, you might see more engagement with China. You'll probably see a different tone. The rhetoric will change for sure. But is it going to help relations between the two overall? I think as long as the approach is to contain China, either unilaterally or multilaterally, fundamentally those relations aren't going to change. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Ney Alvarez with Dina Kispe, Nagin Oliai, Oni Wohacha, Alexandra Locke, Priyanka Tilbe, Amy Walters, and me, Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan was the sound designer. Natalia Aldana is our engagement producer. Stacey Samuel is The Take's executive producer. And Graylin Brashear is Al Jazeera's head of audio. 
If you haven't subscribed to the show yet, go to this episode's description. You'll find extra information about the topic and our social media handles where you can get in touch. We're at AJ the Take. We'll be back.